Welcome to the Speaking From Our Hearts podcast. In this edition, we'll be talking about many aspects of life, particularly health, relationships and wealth-related topics, all from a heart-centred approach. Your host, Paul Lowe, has a long and successful history of helping others through his coaching and mentoring, as well as his many charitable initiatives. He's been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives, particularly young people from challenging backgrounds. Paul is the author of the books Mastering the Game of Life from Pain to Purpose and Speaking from Our Hearts. Welcome listeners to the Speaking From Our Hearts podcast episode where today I'm joined by a lady, an American living in France by the name of Dr. Andrea Pennington. So welcome Andrea. Okay to call you Andrea? Yes. Okay, so um, by way of a start then, um, so our listeners can uh, get a feel for who you are and how the conversation may unfold. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your background growing up, what shaped you to to this, uh, I think it's fair to say, very successful lady that uh, we see now? Well, I grew up in America. I was born in America and grew up um, in a typical divorced family. Um, I lived with my mom and with my sister and brother. And that influence of of, uh, my parents' divorce kind of created like two parallel versions of me. There was the me that I became to please my father, um, which was very much about um, doing well in school, following the rules, being a good girl. And then there was the me that um, my mother encouraged. And that was more of the heart-based, artistic, spiritual, maybe even mystical. And uh, even though these are, it, it can seem like they were at odds with each other, and there definitely were periods when they were, I actually felt like this dance between these two aspects of me um, was actually a good thing in the sense that I was using left brain and right brain. Um, but there, there was a little dysfunction in there in the aspect that I became somewhat um, achievement-oriented. Uh, even when I got to a point where I realized my dad loved me no matter what my grades were, it had already been like implanted into my psyche that you have to do well. Yeah. You always got to be like, have the answers. And and so it created this very perfectionistic streak. Um, so yes, it, 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 it brought me to a, a level of success in life, but it also brought with it um, serious pain. Mm. I don't know if you've ever hung out with any perfectionists, <laughs> but we're not really a, all that fun to be around because it's like, even when things look, yeah, okay, you're raising your hand. <laughs> even when things are like great, you know, you've done well, whether that's performing or it's pr- preparing a meal or as a parent, things are going really well. But the perfectionist in me would just look for every little thing that was wrong. What did I miss? Mm. And so it, it can be a really draining kind of life. Um, and eventually I hit rock bottom and, and realized that I needed to fully integrate all of me with a lot more compassion (laughs) and eventually that allowed me to to really embark on a several year journey of self-love and I didn't even know that I didn't love myself Mm. which sounds it sounds weird as I say it now but looking back I can see how much self-hatred 
I carried around. Like that perfectionism thing, it, it drove me to always look for faults and store up, you know, a tally, a list of all those faults. Mm-hmm. And it never really occurred to me, and I've, I've heard this from other people, that it never occurs to us that we actually don't like ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like you don't, in, in other words, you don't form those words in your head. Like, I don't like you, Andrea. But over time, I realized in, in my early adult years, like there was so much self-hatred that I had to like go on a journey to understand, well, what, what about me is actually lovable? Yeah. Um, and which has brought me to where I am today, which is I'm, I founded a self-love movement to help other people heal from the drama and trauma of our past so that we can actually experience connection with the real self because i believe that there's yes we have an ego we have you know this this shadow side that may not always be quote unquote lovable but when you get in contact with your real self your authentic self you are perfectly lovable no matter what stuff you do on the outside the mistakes you make the real self is spirit it's essence it's soul and it's lovable beautiful I'd, I mean, I was, before you started opening up on this, Andrea, I'd got a sort of line, um, not a line of questioning that would make it sound too systematic, but I, I kind of felt as if I know where I wanted to take this. You've just blown that wide open <laughs> in, in the nicest possible way because I resonate so strongly. I mean, we started off on that perfectionism concept and as I make sense of my journey, my perfection was really a pseudonym for insecurity. I Mm -hmm. wanted to control everything because my childhood had been so erratic, so abusive, so violent. And that, you know, um, led to me with my addiction and the gang culture and everything, all the crazy stuff that went after it. Right. And then when I started to control or grab the control back from my life, and it was in what I called my black and white phases, so mm-hmm. I'd got this mindset that said, okay, I understand what's, well, I don't understand, but how I will survive. And this was very crude survival from a, from a child, basically, yeah. on the back of a suicide attempt at 13 and a half that, oh, wow. okay, by then I'm addicted to alcohol as well, because this is the behavior I've sought as a coping mechanism from, from my mother, bless her. Um, but this whole thing then, so this black and white, so what I would do, I would go um, in later years, in my early adult years, into this, I'm going to go on a mad drinking spree, and I mean around the clock for probably six months, mm. end up on park benches, and then what I would do, I'd give myself a date when I knew I'd come off it, and then I'd go over to the white phase of my life, and it would be the complete polarization. I'd train hard. I'd go back, you know, physical training, academically, building myself up, relationships, everything, everything. Get to the top, and then I'd sabotage it all again. Black, white, black, white. So I understand this perfectionism thing. Well, I understood it in my own world, Andrea, because what it was... Well, obviously, there was massive deservedness issues there with me. I wasn't deserved of that level of happiness. Exactly. Continuity, success, call it what you will. Okay, right. you get back in the gutter, boy, where you belong. Right. And then when I was back in the gutter, it's like, you don't deserve this. 
well, what do I deserve? Who am I? So I loved yeah. what you said there, Andrea, around this. You didn't use the word, but what came through to me was duality. Yeah. Of yeah. the higher self and this this lower self. And I've even got names for those characters. <laughs> what are your names? The lower self is Shufflefoot because he's always walking along playing the victim. That's poor old me you don't understand you'll never have a problem like i've got one nobody yeah. will yeah. and so he shuffles his feet along in life playing the victim and i did that for many years yeah. and the the higher self that i've come to the true self that i've come to discover is and i borrowed this term from um from the sanskrit of satnam i am truth and I liken that to that blank piece of paper that is pure. And as a source, we are, we are peace, we are love, we are happiness. And, you know, I love to have these conversations, particularly, Andrew, with, you know, guys back from my gang culture days, because they think that I've absolutely lost the plot. <laughs> because I've gone from, well, you used to drink hard and you used to fight hard. And you talk about now you talk about love and you talk about all this weird fluffy stuff. Well, what's yeah. what, do you, you know, have you started smoking those funny fags? And <laughs> yeah, what, whatever, whatever suits you is that is that's what I've done, because that's what you're going to think anyway. But if you want to have a conversation, let's have a conversation. So yeah. I love what you've said there around this kind of whole thing and, and bringing in that perfectionism, because for me, it's a misnomer. What is perfection? It's so subjective anyway. Yeah. And, and it's impossible to attain. Yeah. It really is. But I'm, what you've just said about these coping mechanisms. So for me, it sounds like for you too, is we have these insecurities. We feel this need to get validated or accepted. And that's what drove my perfectionism. Yeah. But that's a coping mechanism. Yeah. And I've known now that as a doctor and a healer, I've seen other people who chose the opposite. So they had a very um, strict parent. And rather than rising to the occasion, their coping mechanism was, I'm not going to take the pressure at all. I'm just going to back out. Mm -hmm. And they become, you know, an underachiever. And it is, it is this, this coping mechanism. But I love that you brought up the idea of duality, because that's really what it is. When we think that we are separate from other people, there's a me and a you, that's duality which means if I'm separate, I'm, I'm at risk. I'm at risk of dying, of not being ex accepted, of not surviving, of not thriving, of not succeeding. And for me, that whole duality thing switched when I hit rock bottom and I had already made a pact with the divine when I was probably at the same age as you, when I was thinking of those very dark thoughts about ending my life. And I remember laying on the floor of my bedroom as a young teenager, just feeling like this, this is not life. I don't want it. And I started thinking about how could I end it? And as I started like thinking through, you know, pills and how else do other people like end their lives? This voice, I heard this voice say, you can't kill yourself because if you do, you might come back at some lower level of consciousness. These weren't the exact words, but you might come back and you're pretty, pretty woke right now. You're pretty aware. There's no telling what you might come back at. 
And this voice said to me so clearly, stick it, stick it out. You're going to get through this and your life is going to be better. And at that moment, as a young teen, I couldn't see a positive future. It just seemed like just depression was just all that I would have. But I heard that. And it, what's weird, like you, you, you brought up this, this uh, Vedic culture. I didn't have anyone around me who was Buddhist or Hindu. Like reincarnation was not something that was part of our family system. So it was like to hear this voice tell me that I might, if I killed myself, I would reincarnate at some lower. So I had that. And then I did get to a point in my early 30s where it got really dark again. And I felt helpless because I had already like committed to not kill myself. But this was when I surrendered completely by calling out to God for help. I was like, I can't do this anymore. This life, it's like what you described, like you go and you get all the success and it, I got to all the height of success and fame and money and status. And I felt nothing. I felt no joy. In fact, I just felt the burden of it. And at that point, I just cried out to God and I said, take it. I don't want this life. And since I can't take my life, you take it. Yeah. And that's when I had this out of body experience that I've talked about elsewhere. And I entered into a state of oneness. And that was when I reconnected with what I believe is my true authentic self. Mm. And it was from that state of oneness that I could see like as a, almost like as a projection, I could see earth and I could see that we are little drops of God consciousness. You know, from this vast oneness, we as little individual soul lights drop into human form and then when we're on this earth, it's up to us to determine who we will be, what we will be, what we will become, not our religion, our parents, our society. And as I'm seeing this vision and I could see my life flash in front of me, I saw all of these choices I made and I knew why I was depressed. And then I remember thinking as I'm in this bliss of oneness, I'm like, oh, so I am not really separate. It's just the illusion of separateness, yeah. that whole duality thing. And what I got was, I got this understanding that, oh, I get to choose over there on earth, because I literally left my body. I thought God was like, okay, you asked to leave, here you go. Mm -hmm. But as I saw, I, I realized I have the choice of what I become. And that's when I said yes to life. I said, well, if I get to choose, okay. And that's when this whole vision, again, just in front of my eyes, I saw myself living on the French Riviera, walking hand in hand with the child, singing. I was also um, healing with my hands, which was a little weird. It's kind of like your friend saying, what are you doing now? You used to be a medical doctor and now you're one of those woo-woo. But at, the, at that moment, I said, everything else looked good. Okay, life, I'll go back. And when I came back into my body, that experience of oneness made me understand that when we incarnate, it's... It's this ego apparatus, this physical apparatus that makes us think we're separate. And it's yeah. just a construct. It's just part of the game of yeah. being a human. There's no, no need to judge it or hate the ego or hate the shadow. It's just what we have to move us around. Mm -hmm. And it was that experience that finally let me say, I don't have to keep judging myself. There is no perfection. 
on this earth in terms of, it's like what you just said, that I could try to do something that's completely perfect, but it's subjective. Yeah. Person A over there is going to look at it and, and not like the color. Or person B over there is going to not like the flavor. There is no perfection. And so that, that experience of oneness is what snapped me out of it. Yeah. For my um, listening to that, Andrea, my my moment, for want of a better term, and I, you know, I've got the date embedded in my mind, and it was the twenty third of March, nineteen seventy four, at five past seven in the evening. Mine wasn't a voice, but what mine was, I went to. Um, this is the power of beliefs as well that I'd like us to kind of flirt within the conversation. But I had part of my focus, my belief system was that one day I would be a professional footballer. Now, mm. that gave me something to focus on and believe in when everything around me was falling apart. My mother was taking beatings, trying to protect me. I was taking beatings. The the cruelty, the abuse, the, the whole thing was, was barbaric. But wow. this one guiding light, and this is the power of belief for me, was like, okay... One day I will be a football player for Nottingham Forest Football Club. And that hmm. kept me going. To say I was addicted to that football club is a bit like saying you might get a little bit wet if you went in the ocean. Um, <laughs> and uh, what happened was, Andrea, on the um, Thursday the 21st of March, they lost a cup re replay to a team that played black and white, Newcastle United. 48 hours later, they played away at Fulham in London to a team that played in black and white, and they lost again. Like My language at the time was very much around this, how can you betray me? Do you not know that I dedicate my world? I mean, I'm kind of paraphrasing because obviously at the time <laughs> I was a kid and I'm, you know, I, I right. can intellectualise it now. And do you know what, Andrea? It's a story, isn't it? It's a true story, but it's a yep. story. It's a script. And yeah. do you know the bottom line is, does it really matter? No, because that page is not so much as that page been turned, but that book, I'm not even on that book. In fact, I'm in a different library completely now because I'm right. writing my own books. Um, so this whole kind of journey. But what happened to me that in that instance, uh, when, they'd, when they'd lost to Fulham, I, I ran away from home. Ah. Um, I went to some nearby mining caves where I was totally desolate, about two miles away. And I took with me a razor blade. Oh boy! Because this is what how I'd seen my mother. This is the behaviour that I'd learned with her desperation and her. You know, she'd self harmed and her arms were scarred and all this. You know, this kind of stuff. So I took this blade, and I can remember sitting there. So I got a watch on my right uh, wrist, and I'd got and there I was, and it was five past seven because I looked at me at my watch, and I can remember thinking, "This is it. This wow. is it." And I sat there. And I'd got this, this razor blade across my left wrist from one swipe and it had been gone. And similar as you had that, I suppose, want of a better term, Andrea, that eureka moment. For me, what happened was there was a shudder that went through me. I can't, it's like somebody pushed me and it was oh, like that. Yeah. And the next thing I was just in uncontrollable floods of tears. Yeah. The razor blade was no more. Yeah. And I had one understanding in its most crudest form and that was I will never ever run away from anything or anyone again for the rest of my life now I'm a fighter and wow. I don't know you know that very crude survival belief call it what you will set my pattern then for years well for decades to, to 
uh, to come because what I then set myself up as it was judge, jury and executioner, particularly for women or children that I'd saw were getting mistreated yeah. and it got me in a lot of trouble in subsequent years and I mean a lot of trouble. But that's the power of beliefs, isn't it? That is incredible. But what it sounds like to me, Paul, is that your higher self, like the the true self just was like, oh, no, you don't. Bang. Mm. Right? You're not checking out of this life. Yeah. No. Like that shudder, that, that just gave me chills. Mm. But it is incredible that, that our beliefs can seem somewhat arbitrary depending on where you grew up, your culture, um, your religion, you know, what was going on in uh, society at the time can impact the, the way we perceive ourselves and what we perceive as possible. But you're so right. It's just a story. And a lot of my work now is really about helping people reclaim the authority, you know, author, become a true author of your own heroic life story. Yeah. Because they are just stories that are stored up within us. And some of those stories were created at a time when we didn't have higher states of consciousness. We were in survival mode, uh, or we were at a developmental stage where we didn't have a great imagination about what was possible. And now as adults, we can go back and rewrite those stories of the past, but most importantly, we can start to create the future that we want to live into. It's like that vision that you had of, of the football team. It's yeah. like, this is a future that I'm going to you know, go for. And, and that power is something that we can reclaim because it was always meant to be ours. It's unfortunate that when we're young and we're impressionable, it's not that we gave away that power, it's that we didn't yet own and fully uh, appropriate that power. But now mm. as, as conscious adults, that's, that's the height of accountability in my, in my view, is to really take back this idea that this is my life to, to do with as I will. And yes, there are terrible things that have happened in the past. I forgive them, not because they were nice people, but because hurt people hurt people. Yeah. And that's their karma. But I can't carry that into my future. And that's, that's really where, where I am today is, is that it's a mission of mine to help people reclaim their authority in life and, and to reclaim their voice so that they can start creating these stories and creating a vision for a future that inspires them. I hear you loud and clear, Andrew, because what, what, I'm, well, what, I, what I am hearing is this, and it's interesting what you say, because I've, I've similarly just started a global movement called Speaking From Our Hearts, and it was, it's on the back of the podcast, which is obviously Speaking From Our Hearts. Uh, doing the book series around the same name but and this realization of the power that's just in that simple thing of speaking from our hearts and that healing that goes with it and you know what what's about to uh, to, to to kick off uh, now in the nicest possible way is this global movement of capturing this energy and stripping mm. out this duality and re realizing that that um, you know we're not this lower self that we think we are and understanding that the mind is our best friend but it's a bit like using that metaphor you know does the tail wag the dog or does the what the you know does the dog wag the tail which way is it well for me what I've learned to do now is embrace my mind as my best friend but it's certainly not the tail that wags this dog 
And it's yeah. just about this kind of whole, I think, you know, I don't know if re-educating is, is the right word. It's not the right word, but kind of going back to an understanding who we truly are, not who we think we are. Yeah, absolutely. Because what happens down here is not really our identity. We play different roles, mm. but it's not who we really are. Um, I, I have noticed, uh, obviously, the name of your podcast. And here in France, we host uh, a two-day workshop called Speak from the Heart. Right. <laughs> which is about helping public speakers learn how to share their story and be vulnerable uh, as they embark on this career. So, you know, maybe you and Lynn can make your way over here for our event we hosted in October. Yeah, well, why? Yeah, I mean, there's there's one or two things that uh, I want to talk to you about, and obviously some of them we'll flirt with on this podcast um, and others, um, you know, we'll, we can have other conversations. I'm interested. I mean, I'm looking at the books, obviously, in the background, Andrea, and that was uh, kind of, uh, you know, I've done a bit of research, obviously. Um, I'm on your mailing list. So, you know, I think it's fair to say I know one or two little bits and pieces already. So tell us a bit about your books. Well, it was not something that I knew that I was going to do in life, becoming a publisher and becoming a, a storyteller and a, a coach for others. But... When I got to a point uh, after leaving America, so that vision that I had of my life in France, it, it came true. I moved here eight and a half years ago. And after a while of just being here, focusing on being a mom, my own self-care, I started to have these urges, this calling, this feeling like I want to get out and do more again. Like, but I didn't want to go back to the old TV career that I had. And there was this feeling like, okay, Andrea, if you're going to do this, you've got to do it as the real you. Mm. And so I, I decided at that moment, like the best way to tell the world your story so that you can like clear the slate is through a TED talk. <laughs> so lo and behold, I got a phone call and was invited to give my first TEDx where I shared not the whole thing, but I shared very bravely the first taste of what I had been dealing with, with this long history of depression and anxiety. And then shortly thereafter, um, much to my surprise, because I was very much afraid. And that's the other thing, carrying around all this fear for so many years, I was afraid of being judged. I was afraid of being um, thought of as weak if I were to admit that I had depression and anxiety. And so what happened was, no, people weren't rejecting me or judging me. In, in fact, I was being requested for more podcasts and I was invited to share my story in a book. And it was a group book where multiple authors were each sharing a real life story. And it was the first time I shared in print. And it was, it was scary at first, but there was this amazing um, wave of people from around the world who got this book, who read my story. And like you, they were like, yeah, I had very similar background and oh my God, that's so brave of you. And, and so it opened my eyes to the power of owning our story and being brave enough to share it. It's, it was mainly for me, my own healing and just like, I'm gonna clear the slate. This is who I am and this is what I'm about. But then it had this effect that was affecting other people. And a few years ago, I was given an opportunity to help somebody else with a group book and once again, another calling came and mm. this uh, publisher in America was like, you should do this. 
you should help other authors tell their stories, clear their own traumas, and then publish them in, in a book. It's a real healing. It's like literal uh, therapy. Um, and I resisted for a little bit, but then when I finally jumped in, uh, it's something I will never regret because I get to see these waves and waves of healing and transformation as people go through our storytelling process and the hero's yeah. journey of really getting back in touch with their authentic self, healing those, those wounds, and then empowering other people through sharing the story. So that's um, it's become a big part of my company now. Yes, uh, one or two thoughts were going through my mind there. So how did you actually overcome the depression then, Andrea? That's the crazy thing, because it literally was just gone. When I came back after that experience with oneness and bliss, mm. it was gone. And that's the thing that, that, that completely confused me for many years. Like, I'm a medical doctor. I grew up in that paradigm that said that depression was either a biochemical imbalance or something wrong with your brain or it's hereditary. So when I came out of that experience and the depression was gone, the anxiety gone. Yeah. I mean, and literally, I had dealt with it since my teenage years. I was confused and I was curious. I started um, interviewing other people who'd had um, out-of-body and near-death experiences because that too, I'd never heard of anyone having an out-of-body near-death experience that wasn't like in surgery or anesthesia or an accident. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't. Um, and that's, that's when I started to understand that with these divine, some people call them mystical experiences, a peak experience, a reconnection with the divine or the higher self, there is something that gets reset. And it's not about biochemistry for me, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. It's about identity. The reason I was so depressed was because I was living so far out of alignment with my true self. I was so busy trying to be what everyone else wanted me to be. I had created, literally, as a TV personality, I created this big TV personality and erected this whole mask and this costume that I had to live in. And then after building that character on TV, which was fine for a while, because I was an actor at, the, you know, at my course, so I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm being a TV doctor and doing these documentaries, that's fine. But suddenly it wasn't just this image that I wore while I was on TV. There was this whole life that got built around it. And that's when I, the, the real me was kind of inside this world, starting to feel completely suffocated. And I, I think that's the adult version of why I felt bad, because I was not living my truth. And as a child, when I look back now, like, why, were, why was I depressed? Because unlike your story, I didn't have like severe you know, abuse, but I didn't feel accepted for me. And that was what I believe caused my depression. And I wasn't, it's not so much, I mean, it, it does suck when your parents are telling you, you need to do this to be accepted. But it's even worse when you don't accept yourself. Yeah. And now I'm able to look back. I didn't have that knowledge then, but I'm able to look back now and realize the reason I was so depressed was because I was having experiences like mystical experiences, not quite as crazy as they were as an adult, but I really felt the spirit world. I believed that we all have this connection, but nobody was talking about it. And when I did talk about it, the people at school were like, she's weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so I felt, when I look at the, the authentic me that was inside this child's body going, 
nobody's accepting me. Maybe I am weird. Maybe I am defective. I want to do these things, and my parents are telling me no. I want to share these things, and people are telling me I'm weird. And so I think the reason that that depression left and never came back was because when I reconnected with my authentic self, and I saw this vision, and again, uh, I wasn't totally religious. I've always been spiritual, but I believed that I had a, an experience with God. And for me, for God, in quotes, to tell me, this is your future, you have a right to live, you have a right to be happy. It was like, okay, I don't need anyone else's authority. I don't need anyone else's approval. And, and so that was gone. That sense of duality was gone. And that's why the depression, I think, was gone. Mm, interesting. You mentioned earlier on uh, what I call the dirty F word, fear. Which one? Yeah, fear. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> anyway, moving swiftly on. <laughs> um, fear. And this is a question I love to ask people all the time, Andrea, and it's this. Fear versus love as a polarisation. Is it a simple choice? Hmm. Is it a simple choice? Hmm. I think it is a simple choice, but it's not an easy one. And hmm. I say that to say... Fear is a protective mechanism of the human psyche. And of course, we need a protective mechanism. We need a survival mechanism. And so it's simple to say, well, why would you choose something that's going to lead to your destruction? Why not just choose love, choose light, choose joy, choose harmony? Well, if you've grown up where those values are not favored, if you've grown up where you literally had to fight for your life, it's not an easy choice to just say, oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be the nonviolent person and choose love. Mm. So I think it is a simple choice. Well, of course, we should all be choosing, should, but we should all be choosing love and support and equality. But it's not easy depending on how you've been programmed. Now, it's much easier as an adult with this awakened consciousness because for me, when fear comes up, it's just, it's, it's like when, when the warning light comes on in my car, I don't yell at it. Oh, you're so evil for telling me I need to replace the oil or check my tires. It's just a signal. Hello, you need to check something. And so for me, when fear comes up, and I had this experience recently, I just tune in. I'm like, oh, why am I feeling threatened? Am I really at risk of dying? Is there really something in my environment that's going to eat me or stab me? And I allow myself to tune in and say, okay, what are you trying to show me? Because it's not me. It's the, that ego. It's that psyche that's mm -hmm. feeling threatened for some reason. And it is easier now for me to say, oh, who do you want to be, Andrea? Do you want to be the lower human animal or do you want to be human spirit? Human spirit is that divine part of us. It's a choice. For me, it is a little easier, but um, yeah, that's what I would say about that. The reason I ask that question to almost everybody now that comes on, on the podcast is this, because part of the um, Speaking From Our Hearts mission is to take that message of love out to the world as not an alternative, but the only choice there is. And what I like about the power of the simplicity of that some would say black and white of that sort of polarization that dichotomy call it what you will but some of the conversations i have andrea with very very high level um 
consciousness people, and I say consciousness people around the subject of consciousness, um, and the amazing work that they do, what I've actually said is that brilliant stuff actually needs to be took out onto the streets. Mm, yeah. But using the language that you use, you ain't going to connect. And what I'm <laughs> saying is by somebody, dare I say, like myself, that's seeing both sides of the coin, the violence, the addiction and all the darkness, the despair that goes with that for decades, not just, you know, sort of for five minutes because, you know, something's happened in my life, my wife's left me or, or whatever, and I'm not sort of you know, um, playing that down for, for people that that may have happened to. But what I'm saying is, you know, these challenges that happen and people end up, good people end up on the thin lines, end up with addictions. And I've, I know so many of those people to give them that hope, to give them that understanding, that realisation that, do you know what? It absolutely, and, and I love to be challenged on this by anybody anybody at yeah. all because it is a simple choice i hear what you're saying ah but the the how well that's a different story right, right. ah but is it is it andrea because isn't that about people having that ability to then reach that person with their story with their words that whole thing that is them and that's about as identifying you know who we can best serve I mean, I think, you know, I'm like yourself, I'm not a, I'm not a religious person, but I, something that, you know, from my early days of awareness around the Bible was the disciples were all, they were, this is my words, um, at the risk of sounding blasphemy, but unsavory characters. They were not <laughs> sort of, you know, these very polished, beautiful souls. They were like <laughs> guys off the street, you know, paraphrasing again, that's like, okay, yeah. but they've got big hearts. Right. And I think that's where it is. So for me, it, you know, if I can be allowed to answer my own question, Andrea, <laughs> yes, it is a simple choice. And I believe the how is very simple as well. But that's based in love. And that's where people need to show the love and give people time of day. And, you know, just a simple thing, you know, that five minutes and show that we really do care. And yeah. that is immeasurable beyond comprehension in, in in my experience and I haven't spoken to you know thousands of people so I'd like you to challenge me on my simplistic view of the of the world <laughs> I wouldn't challenge you on it I mean I think it's I agree with you I just think that there are people at different levels of their consciousness and so as simple as a choice it, it is the the ease with which people can do it I think that depends on our level of consciousness. But I love what you just said about if we could just be love and reflect love. Um, it's a big part of, um, of my world now is reflecting and beaming love. Um, we created this real self-love movement to produce books and music and events where we can just pour out love. Because what I experienced in that oneness experience was a reconnection to divine love, pure love, where I all I could see, feel, and experience was love. And so I felt myself as love. I yeah. am love. Well, you are love. We are love. Yeah. That's all there really is. This yeah. whole duality thing is just like the matrix. It's just yeah. a construct. And it's not the real me. And so I feel like if we do have those experiences, as you described, if we could start to, 
to beam love to other people, then they too would get this mirrored effect of recognizing I'm lovable. And those reverberations, yeah. I think, could help people to realize, oh, I can put down the fear now. I don't have to look at you as a threat or a, a competitor. I'm lovable just as I am with all of my interesting qualities. So I think, I think you're, you're absolutely onto something there. Mm. So we just have to encourage people to keep doing it, to reflect that love. And that is, that's the key word, isn't it? That encouragement and that sort of, um, you know, I'm kind of flipping over with my mentoring hat on now of, you know, leaving, say, a client with action points. And then, you know, you, you touch base a week, two weeks later or whatever. And, and have they been done? Well, no. Mm, okay, why? And it's that constant need to be kind of inspired and supported and encouraged, isn't it? And, you know, and this is the fallible side of our of our human being our body, isn't it? Our mind, you know, that other part of the duality. I think Spira calls it the mind, body and the world. I kind of want to rephrase that and call it the BMW because it's easier to remember the body, mind, world. But it's the same thing. Yeah. Um, tell us about Glee. Glee. How are you, how are you pronouncing that? Because it's something that's come through today and it made my eyes um, yeah, pop out. Yeah, we're calling it Glee, which is probably not the perfect um pronunciation using this this ae combination but in any case it stands for global luminary activation experience and what we're doing is hosting a five-day mastermind retreat in the south of france to help healers and coaches and light workers who want to increase their income and impact they get to come here and learn a five-stage model for improving their business with heart and integrity. And then we have a one-year continuity program. You just brought up this idea of continuity. We built in a, an accountability and ongoing mentoring program. So I don't know if you've ever experienced this where you go to a, an event or a conference and you get all hyped up and you're like, yeah, this is good. I'm going to make these changes. And then you get home and things just kind of fall by the wayside or you're like, oh, what did that speaker say? What am I supposed to do? Well, I noticed this in our lightworker community. Other healers and coaches would get these ideas. Oh, I need to write a book or start a podcast or you know, create a marketing funnel to sell my courses. And then they buy up a course or they hire someone and it somehow falls flat and they don't follow through. Um, and that's really frustrating for me. So we got together a transformational team of teachers and mentors who will be providing guidance and inspiration here during the five-day event and then ongoing each month in our Mastermind Mentoring Program. Excellent. And that starts at the end of September, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Something I'm really excited about because I, I've been doing high-level mentorship and, and training for many, many years, but I have a very limited schedule. I don't have, you know, unlimited amounts of hours to spend with people. Mm -hmm. And so creating a program where we can get, you know, 50 people in who are attentive and hungry to really get to that next level in their lives, especially the spiritual entrepreneur, because yeah. like we've just talked about fear, fear of being seen, fear of being judged. Um, there is also this fear of success. You know, I've seen that just like you were talking about getting to that height and then sabotaging. Yeah. I've seen it so many times in other clients. 
And so we wanted to provide this safe container that would allow people to work through their stuff as they're working on their business. And the, the distinction, I should say, this is not just an entrepreneurial conference. This is for people who recognize that at this stage of their life, they want to use their talents and their life as part of their soul, soul's work or their soul's destiny. Mm-hmm. So it's a very different sort of entrepreneur that um, we're inviting to this event. Superb. Superb. So as we start to draw to draw towards a close, Andrea, I want to ask you uh, I want to ask you this question and this um um well I'm gonna ask the question. There's no judgment on it. Um you know the proverbial ele- elevator lift scenario, 30 seconds, 15 seconds, whatever, you know, um the old job scenario. But I want a different context on this. So you're you know, you're in this elevator and you're about to leave this mortal body. But before you do, you've got one key message to impart upon the world. I mean, no doubt you've got hundreds, if not thousands, but you can only have one. What would it be? Mm. Well, I think it would be the subject of our whole conversation today. I would say to that person in the elevator with me, you are lovable. You are a divine extension of God. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing that you have to strive for or achieve to be lovable. You are lovable. And because you're lovable, you can just go out there and live your life using all of your gifts and talents to the fullest. Beautiful. On the back of that, Andrea, I want to ask you one more question. And it's this. What does speaking from your heart mean to you? Speaking from the heart means speaking my truth with love. No added filler or masks, but speaking my truth with love, with the intention to uplift or inspire. That's what speaking from the heart means to me. Beautiful. Is there anything else that you want to add to the, um, to the conversation, to the journey, to the... Um... Yeah, the insights that we've shared and um, yeah, I mean, as you can probably deduce, I'm starting to go into a sort of reflective mood now because... Um... <laughs> we both are. <laughs> no, I, I think what I would love to end with is just a recognition of you and honouring you for creating this space for so many people to connect and share from their hearts. Uh, you know, what we've talked about today we're very comfortable with it now. You know, we we can give us a mic and we'll go on for hours. But by opening up this platform and allowing other people to share is a real gift that you're giving. So I just want to honor you and acknowledge you for that because um, it's much needed and uh, you're doing a beautiful job with it. So thank thank you. you. Thank you. So in terms of reaching out to you, uh, Andrea, we've mentioned the Glee, the Global Luminary Activation Experience. You mentioned that. Obviously, your books are in the background. We've mentioned we've flirted with your books. So if people want to know more about you and the work that you do and how you know how they can get involved, well, what's your contact details? You can visit me online, andreapennington.com. And if the publishing media or public speaking is of interest to you, then visit makeyourmarkglobal.com. Make your mark global. These listeners, as ever, these um, these details will be in the show notes. So all that remains now is for me to say, uh, Dr. Andrea Pennington, sincere gratitude to you know for what for this 
this this journey this journey yeah. and obviously to our listeners for 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 being part and sharing in this um, in this journey and as i always do i'd like to close with this this thought remember whatever you're doing in life always walk your path with heart thank you hearts helping everyone achieve results towards success <laughs>